We've always wanted human helpers. We've always tried to build tools. Like since the beginning of life, we've created tools. They're just such a natural thing. And now this is different because it extends the range of our mind, of our mental capabilities, of our creativity and intuition and imagination. So we're sort of exploring this new era where tools are helping us extend the range of our minds. Welcome back to the Engineering Leadership Podcast. ELC Annual 2023 is just around the corner. So we're launching a special series featuring past sessions that capture some of the themes and topics that you'll see during the conference. Why? Because you're probably wondering, what can I expect from the conference? Well, the answer is incredible speakers and content. And this episode is just a preview. Speaking sessions will tackle some of the most critical challenges facing engineering leaders today. We're talking leadership, career development, and today's theme, technology. Our technology track will cover how generative AI is transforming software development and engineering leadership. And our speaking sessions in this track are going to tackle everything from trust and safety in AI. We examine different aspects of the business that engineering is uniquely equipped to transform with AI applications. We're talking things like customer experience, revenue generation, and growth, plus the new skills and competencies that you're going to need in order to lead your organizations through this disruption and beyond. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, you are missing out. You absolutely need to be there. You can grab your ticket and check out all of our speakers and topics at sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023. This episode features a session from ELC Annual 2022 with Mira Marathi, CTO at OpenAI, Naveen Gavini, SVP of Product at Pinterest, and Vijay Karunamurthy, Head of Engineering at Scale AI. They cover the current state and future of generative AI, its potential impact, what's being done to mitigate potential risks, how smaller companies can take advantage of open source generative AI technology, and the factors impacting future generative AI innovation. For our community, this episode was really the precursor to the generative AI Cambrian explosion that we've seen this year. I mean, think about it. This came out in October 2022, and it's really been a great reflection on how rapidly this technology and the implications have accelerated and evolved. I mean, think about it. It came out in October. Think about how much has changed since then. So let me introduce you to our speakers. Mira Marathi is the CTO of OpenAI. Prior to joining OpenAI, she led the product and engineering teams at LeapMotion, a VR AR startup, and led the design, development, and launch of vehicle products at Tesla, including Model X. Naveen Gavini is the SVP of products at Pinterest, where he oversees all design and product efforts for both consumer and advertiser products. Prior to this role, Naveen led both the design and engineering functions and was one of Pinterest's earliest engineers. Vijay Karunamurthy is Scale's head of engineering. He was the director of engineering at Apple for five years. He was the co-founder and CEO of Nom Labs and co-founder of Avo Systems. Additionally, he was an engineering manager at Google and YouTube. Again, if you are interested in topics just like this and beyond, you can get your ticket to join your peers, check out all of our other speakers, and explore additional topics at sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023. Enjoy this special episode with Mira Marathi, Naveen Gavini, and Vijay Karunamurthy. Thank you. Thanks so much. 
All right, I think this is going to be a very exciting panel just because the technology that we're talking about is so exciting. And, you know, just the number of hands that were raised about folks that have used Dolly 2 this year, I can already tell all of you are excited about it. You've started to unleash your creativity. So I'm excited to talk to our panelists about it as well. So I, I'm going to start this question by rewinding way back in AI time. Um, all the way back to April of this year. Um, so it, in April, we saw the announcement of Dolly 2 from OpenAI. Um, and really starting with that announcement, um, the world saw the potential of this new wave of technology, which is known as diffusion models. Um, and the capability of these models to generate imagery and creative artworks um, has just really un unleashed a huge wave of imagination. Um, so my first question is to Mira. Um, what do you make of this year and, and kind of the development of generative AI as a new field of development that folks have gotten really excited about? And what does the future hold for generative AI? We saw the first steps of generative AI with GPT-3. Um, that's a natural language model and it generates texts. So basically we fed it a bunch of texts from the internet and uh, we asked it to predict the next word. And then we found out that it doesn't do just that, but actually has a pretty decent understanding of language. And it can write essays that make sense and it can make jokes and it can write poetry. Um, and that was, that was a great surprise that, okay, we can have this large uh, model and feed it a lot of data and have it predict the next word. So we thought, okay, why don't we do that, but with different type of data. So we did that with code, and that's how Codex was born, uh, where you give it you know, a uh, description in text, and then it will generate code based on that. So it makes coding more accessible through this very intuitive interface. Um, and then we decided to try the same thing with images. So that's how DALI-1 was born, uh, where we had text and image pairs that we trained this model on. Um, and then we wanted to make that much better, so we changed the architecture and moved on to diffusion models. So DALI-2 is much more photorealistic, much more capable. Um, and this is sort of like the path of the generative models where we believed that if we had a large model, a ton of compute, a lot of data, and focused on predictive capabilities, we'll get much more than we bargained for. Um, we would have these models that understand the world more similarly to how humans do. And that's what we have seen incrementally um, across these different models, and more recently with DALI, where we see a model that has a much more robust understanding of what the world seems like. Because when you ask it, for example, to generate um, avocado chair, and it generates like something beautiful and funny, but you can also see this, you know, understanding of the function of the chair with. Um, sort of like the soft side of the avocado, the colors, the function and the form are respected in the industrial design of the avocado chair. And so, so that's really amazing. And that's where we're trying to go, to have these models that understand the world more similarly to how we do. That's great. Naveen, you, you have a little bit of a different perspective in that you're helping build the world's biggest platform for curation and content gathering. I'm curious, what impact does this new change in generative AI have for curation and for everything you do for communities that are built around these art forms? 
Yeah, totally. Um, so I think, uh, I mean, every, I would say like every business has like to kind of rethink itself a little bit around what are the applications around generative AI. And so for Pinterest, for folks that are familiar, you know, we're a destination where people come for inspiration, where people come to get new ideas, to be creative, to try new things. And I think what really implementing technology such as generative AI really does is it allows people to dream in entirely new ways. And so the avocado chair example that, you know, Mira talked about is something that like, I, I would wonder what an avocado chair would even look like, but I would never think to even imagine what that could be. And so for technology to be able to do that, and I think what's really interesting is in machine learning, you know, I feel like the history has kind of been where, you know, we've trained models and largely like the output of the model is relatively predictable in the sense of like, hey, like, we know roughly what it's going to do, and, like, we're training it to do that. And I think with the evolution that we're seeing now is there's another step that's being taken, which is almost like it's almost a surprise and a delight that's on the other side where you get the result back, and you're like, oh, interesting. I never would have thought that that's what it would have generated. And that, in some ways, that's better or different than what I would have thought about. And I think, I think that's a real evolution um, that speaks to where we are with the technology, but also um, what what we're going to see in the future. And so as an example, actually, this weekend, kind of a funny, you know, engineering type thing to do on a Friday night, but I had uh, friends visiting um, from out of town, and I was super psyched about this. And so I was talking to them about generative AI, and the people I'm talking to is a doctor, and his wife's a lawyer, so they have no idea, like, what, what this generative AI thing is. And so... Immediately, we go to Dolly and we're playing with it, and we're uh, and so doctor goes and starts to type in. I don't even know how to pronounce this disease, but it was like some like very long form medical term. Types it in, and I was like, I actually didn't know. I was like, hey, like, are they gonna have trading data on that? All the engineering things kind of go through my mind. Like, what is it gonna produce? Um, and it actually spit out something that I was like, I was like, is that is that what it looks like? I don't really know what it looks like, but it looks like art to me. And he was like, this is amazing. Like, I would have never pictured this to look like this in all of the medical textbooks I've read and all of my medical training, like I've never seen it portrayed this way. And it's actually really cool. Those are blood vessels. And he was like kind of breaking down, you know, the heart or whatever. And I was, I was so surprised, but that, that speaks to like where we are with technology of being able to provide you delight and surprise on there. And so for Pinterest, we're thinking about how do we do that with uh, generative AI. I also wonder what an avocado chair would look like. So if anyone wants to generate one on, on your phone and, and send we it over. One in the office. <laughs> that, that, that is very impressive. Mira, you, you obviously run an engineering team at OpenAI, and you're one of the most forward-facing research organizations, commercial organizations in the world. Knowing the impact that generative AI has through projects like Codex, how can engineering teams stay ahead of this technology, and how can they bring it into their own engineering practices um, in a way that, that improves the work that we all do as engineers? So um, to enable people um, to have access and build on top of the technologies that we're building, we're making them accessible through an API. So people can just come in and uh, access them and build on top of them. And I think that's the best way to sort of stay ahead of, of these models. Although now there are companies that are also building their own uh, models for, for um, text to image specifically. And there are open source versions of them as well. Um, in addition, we have playground and labs, which are experiences where people can just 
test uh, the technology and see what it uh, what it can do uh, without committing to actually building on top of it. And I think that's that's a good starting point. You must have a, a similar perspective on how folks can build on top of prior experiences, prior themes that folks have expressed through art or photography. I, I'm curious, you know, how can engineering teams learn from the patterns of behavior you've seen at Pinterest over how creativity has been built upon prior artwork that's there? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think taking some of the common use cases in whatever you're building are or whatever your customers are doing and then kind of trying to figure out um, are there ways to make that process simpler or to push push the thinking or the imagination in a different way. And so, you know, for us, like one of the natural extensions, um, not in the product today, but coming to the product soon with uh, powered by a lot of the things we're talking about today is just, um, you know, when you curate things on Pinterest onto a board, you might pin a bunch of furniture ultimately you're kind of your mind is going to like well how would that furniture look in my home or how would those clothes look on my in my wardrobe or on me and so you know that's a leap that generally i can really make for you very quickly where it's like hey just pin all the things to your board and then we're going to render your living room or your dining room or your you know or your bedroom in that way and so um so i think there's a lot of applications but i think it's about thinking what are your customers kind of doing today and then how can you augment it in the right way um, Mir, we had, we had a question also from the audience about for smaller companies and smaller startups that are out there that are just getting their head around the power of these models and the sort of work they can build upon them. How should they be thinking about their role and what they can play on top of a very large model like Dolly 2 or GPT-3 where maybe there's fine tuning or, or other flows that they should be thinking about? We work very hard to make these models as accessible as possible, both from technical perspective, where you don't need to have very sophisticated ML uh, competencies in the company in order to build on top of them. Um, and you can just experiment and figure out what new products this technology could enable um, and go do that. And we also um, try to make it very accessible from a compute perspective where we optimize these models as much as possible so that anyone can access them without having to orchestrate a ton of GPUs that would be both costly and would require a lot of skill. So that's why we make these technologies accessible through an API so people can come in, test them and build on top of them. Plus the OpenAI team specifically will work with customers when they're trying to do something that's maybe a bit more complex. For um, GPT-3, uh, we also have fine-tuning endpoint for customers to fine-tune on their own data set if they're trying to do something more specific to um, their own data set. Naveen, you also work with some of the largest brands and, and advertising agencies and other people that are thinking about commerce and how it's evolving through this space. Um, what are you hearing from you know, the people that live within the marketing or the creative world and what they feel about generative AI and the impact that's going to have on, on the broader industry? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think everyone's looking at the space right now with um, a lot of optimism of like what it can do. Um, and so, you know, when I, you know, for Pinterest, when we talk to a lot of marketers um, who want to either show up on Pinterest organically or advertise on Pinterest, you know, one of the big pain points is how do you make creative that is compelling 
that people want to engage with, and that's on any platform, right? And so, um, so one of the things that we've been thinking a lot more about is, uh, and I'm sure I think there's some startups popping up in this space, but you know, if you're if you're a merchant or a brand, the idea that you can go and just say like, hey, here's my website, here's my objective. Uh, and here's my budget, and like you know, give it to generative AI to go figure out what are the right ads, who they should target, what those ads should look like, what's the creative uh, behind them, and just test lots of different iterations till one succeeds. Um, could be really interesting, you know. As a real proof point, you know, some of the largest brands that we work with on our platform are, are retailers, and so your, um, you, you know, Patagonia, J. Crew, uh, you know, these sorts of brands, and a lot of times they'll have a amazing product catalog, so they'll drop their winter product catalog. But when you look at those products online, they're often like not the most inspiring versions of themselves. So they're, a, you know, a a uh, sweater on a white background, and you may say like, oh, cool, that looks great, but how does it actually look on a person? or will that fit my body type? And so I think generative AI can actually make that leap. And so one of the things that we're experimenting with now at Pinterest is actually by default for those retailers, giving them the option to just render their products on models, on maybe even models that have some sort of lookalike to you as a user. Um, and so those are things that I think are evolutions that just make their jobs so much easier. And imagine the manual work that they would have to do to actually take each of those products get a model, shoot it, you know, edit it, post it. And now generative AI can just do that in a matter of seconds for you. And I think that's really speaks to the disruptive nature of the technology. I love that term, the most inspiring version of yourself and the possibility of doing that. Yeah. I, I'd love to actually ask a follow-up, which is around a product. I, I know you've played a key role in, um, which is guided search at Pinterest. And for, for those of you that have searched on Pinterest, you often can start off thinking about a particular topic you're interested in, like gardening, and guided search will actually help you discover variations on that topic and curated sets that you might be interested in. Um, I'm curious, given that concept of guided search and now this kind of future of generative AI where there's an infinite range of possibilities of what you could be discovering or searching against, how does that impact the act of discovery and how you go about thinking about inspiration? Yeah, totally. Great question. Um, so for folks that don't know like uh, um, what guided search is, basically an... Um, and uh, I think a lot of search companies now have kind of adopted a similar search pattern. But when you do a search, like generally speaking, probably four or five years ago, refinement was basically you had to go back and retype your query in. So you type a query in and you'd say like, oh, didn't get it right. I got to go back. I got to retype the query. Now, now you've kind of seen guides appear on most search engines underneath that bar. And you can actually type, uh, tap in and kind of refine your search and pivot your search. So what I think is actually really interesting, what Mira talked about was like right now, the primary input um, that, that is easy for us as humans to kind of interface with is basically text. And so what you're playing with when you do Dolly 2 is you're kind of figuring out almost like how to query or how to search, how to generate, like what can I type in? Can I type in avocado chair? Um, can I type in like this sort of render uh, painted in by Michelangelo, right? So you're trying to like kind of put words to it. Now, I think where we're probably headed is how can we provide users more inputs where they don't actually have to construct that query? And it can almost happen organically. And it can happen uh, from more than just text. And so one of the things that we're really excited about and playing with is like, could you actually combine different images together and not even have text as your query and say like, hey, this is an interesting image. This is an interesting image. That's an interesting image. 
And uh, by combining them, you'll actually see generative AI pick the, the right elements out and be able to generate automatically. And, and I think that's really interesting because when you're searching, and especially in the visual world, you often don't know the words to describe what you're interested in, what you're looking for. And so being able to do that visually and have, um, have actually a taxonomy behind the scenes or have computer vision really understand the attributes of those different images and then combine them to form the right query, I think is, is really uh, impressive. And I think when you look at a lot of the threads right now in public, some of the most amazing creations through Dolly have come through really imaginative query construction. And so query construction is like incredibly important. So how do we take that aspect of it and make it seamless, make it guided, make it easy so that anyone can do it? Mira, you were really at the forefront of this kind of intersection of art and technology. And one thing that strikes me about prompt construction or, or think about what prompts you pass in, it sometimes feels a lot more like like a dark art than, than, than engineering or technology. There are all sorts of keywords that you learn or magical incantations that you can pass into these transformer models that, that make you produce outputs you wouldn't have predicted. Um, given you run really diverse engineering teams, people from all sorts of backgrounds, how do you think about where the North Star is for your team in terms of how you want to work on the prompt layer or work on the inputs that users are passing in and get to outputs that kind of move the needle in, in terms of what generative AI can accomplish? I think the ingenuity is really in the input that you give the models. The models are incredibly powerful, but at the end of the day, they're a tool. They're an extension of our creativity. They're an extension of our imagination. I view them as sort of like a human helper. And the, the ingenuity and the creativity still has to lie with the person and with us. Um, and some of the most beautiful things that we've seen people do just come from artists or people that are trying to solve a specific problem uh, that no one else feels the pain of or would have thought about it that same way. And I think this is true for everything that we are building right now. So this is true for GPT-3, for Codex, and for DALI-2, where these models are essentially human human tools. And this is how people are using them. They're not necessarily replacing like full jobs, but they're helping people in the initial stage of everything that they do, whether they're filmmakers or artists or architects, interior designers for DALI in particular. I'd love to deep dive on that because there's one pessimistic train of thought that Dolly 2 is going to take over jobs from artists and we won't have particular need for creative arts anymore as a profession. And then the very optimistic view, which is these are tools that are going to enable a new range of creativity. Where do you fall on that spectrum and how do you think about the future? So I think this is not new for us in the sense that we've always wanted human helpers. We've always tried to build tools like since the beginning uh, of, of life, we've created tools. They're just such a natural thing. But, um, you know, the Industrial Revolution extended our physical capabilities, and now this is different because it extends the range of our uh, mind, of our mental capabilities, of our creativity and intuition and imagination. Um, and if you think about prompt engineering specifically, what you input into these models, that's a lot of intuition. You're, you're kind of thinking about this new interface, this new way of interacting with technology and building an intuition for uh, what it can do and uh, how it can help you. So we're sort of exploring this new era of where, where tools are um, helping us extend the range of our minds. And um, 
I think it's not going to be so different from other revolutions in the sense that, uh, you know, some new jobs are created, some jobs go away. There is a ton of retraining that happens for um, new jobs that are created in the market. And I think we will see something quite similar in that sense. Naveen, same question for you. You're, you're a platform that empowers artists to showcase their work and seek job opportunities. What impact do you think generative AI is going to happen on the, the creative professions? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Mira. Like, I, I think that a lot of things are just going to get up-leveled and smarter. And so, like, I think if you look at some of the applications today, and I know this is, like, a very engineering-centric audience, and so, like, I think GitHub has started to use kind of GPT-3-esque kind of models to do predictive kind of coding and things like that. And if you think about it, like, I don't think anyone here is losing sleep over like, oh man, like GP, this is going to replace like me, you know, as an engineer, I think we're still going to need engineers, but you know, likely some of the things that it's doing, you're going to be like, oh, thank God that's doing that for me. I don't, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. So, so I think over time, um, there's, you're just going to see that in more and more applications. And I think, um, what I think is really interesting, I know so much of, you know, uh, the focus right now is on, I think, image-based generation. But I think some of these other areas in terms of business applications, I think, are really, really interesting. And I think there's just a lot of really mundane things that I think people will just be a lot more grateful for, that there'll be something more automated that they can get help with. And so uh, when you think about those day-to-day tasks, like, I think that's where it's going to really, really excel. And then on the creative front, like the you know the thing that I think is going to be important is that there's always... there's, there's there's two inputs, right? There's the input of the prompt and like actually asking for what you want back. And then there's the training data on which that that model is trained. And I think the more and more creativity, the more humanity progresses, the more divergence we have and the more new ideas, it's only going to help uh, with with making a better helper, essentially. So, so I think that that need is there. It's going to make technology better by us being better. And, and so ideally, we just like progress and accelerate, you know, together. Um, yeah, and actually, just to add to Navin's point about by working with the technology, you're helping it to get better and helping us get better in working with it, sort of like as a team. And I think Copilot, which is a GitHub tool based on uh, built on top of Codex, is actually a great example of this. Where as you use Copilot more, the feedback that you provide helps make the model better, and in turn, that makes you more effective and the tool becomes more helpful to us. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. How do you think about that in terms of people that have very skilled knowledge? And a great example of this is... um, Instruct GPT, the, the work you do at OpenAI, where you use human experts in order to align these models to, to human tasks. How do you think about the role that humans play now in, in helping align these models and, and the future that that's going to play out with? 
Yeah, so Instruct GPT is this class of models that is uh, more helpful, more truthful. We like to think of them as, you know, a more useful and more honest version of the GPT-3 uh, language model, which is, you know, just trained to predict the next word. It's not trained to predict the next word truthfully. There is no concept of that. And with Instruct GPT, we use uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback to guide these models towards more aligned behavior. What I mean by that is that when you ask the model to do something, it does that. It doesn't you know, lie to you or come up with other stuff or do something that you don't intend it to do. And that's, that's what we call aligned uh, GPT models or instruct uh, GPT models. And uh, in order to get there, the, we as humans play a crucial role because we have to give examples to the AI system on what's uh, aligned behavior, what's uh, good behavior. So you can kind of think of it as training a child where you kind of show demonstrations of good behavior and then you sort of penalize the, the bad behavior to guide them more with, you know, moral values or whatever values the family or the community may have. So we kind of use the same uh, high-level uh, guidance to get to more useful models that do the thing that we want them to do. Initially, this was based on making the model safer. But then we found out that actually it makes the model also more useful. Um, so it was the first time that we saw, you know, theoretical safety end up in practical commercial implementation of, of this model. So that was really exciting. Yeah, that, it seems like really important foundational work. Yeah. Naveen, it's a great opportunity to talk about some of the risks of this technology. And one that I know is at the forefront of people's minds is for any social platform, you have to deal with misinformation, um, ways in which people might use the platform to influence others' opinions. Um, maybe one of the risks of generative AI is being able to generate much more convincing misinformation than you could in the past and sometimes personalized to a user. Um, how do you think about it as a platform and how you address those challenges? I was talking about earlier basically like the two inputs, right? The prompt and then the data it's trained upon. And I think um, what I would say is the technology is only going to be as good as the data it's trained upon at the end of the day. And I think um, what I would say is like the large swath of data that we have today is indicative of human society. And so when you train on a large set of images, there are biases that are li likely in those images. There's stereotypes. There's just things that generally we as a society uh, have and uh, and I think the unfortunate nature of that is that as you empower more ease of access, more creative tooling, more uh, ability to kind of start to dream up new things, um, that bias is kind of mitigated forward and almost accelerated in some ways. And so I think a lot of the work that um, we're doing at Pinterest, um, more broadly speaking, has always been around like you know how do we make uh, our product and the content on Pinterest inclusive for everyone. And I think a lot of the work and, and research that we're trying to work on right now is really around leveraging those same principles and bringing them into uh, generative AI. Because I think when you look at some of the examples um, of some of the things you know that you're not that proud of that it, it produces is just 
really you can see like what it's catalyzing forward in terms of some of the polarizing kind of viewpoints or content that we have today. And so I think that's uh, that's on all of us. Like I think we all have to be aware of that. And um, and I think you know one of the things I really appreciate is when I work with like researchers or machine learning engineers, and you know they actually say like, hey, Naveen, as excited as like the product team is about shipping this thing, we don't think we should do this right now because just it is not the right experience because it's just unfair in terms of the results it, pro pro it provides. And I think it's really important because at the end of the day, like what's really exciting about all the stuff we're talking about is that the ease of access has gone up exponentially where any of us can get in there and type something in and try it out. And that's going to be, you know, hopefully globally accessible to everyone uh, and everyone will be able to play with it. And so with that, I think comes a responsibility to make sure that what you're serving is uh, is is something that you would actually you know stand behind, and I think it's it's pretty hard because uh, you know obviously these diffusion models like you know some of the brilliance of them also are what what make it very hard to predict kind of what's what's going to come out on the other side, and and a lot of it once again goes back to how the data is being trained and and looking at that. So um, so I think there's a lot in fairness, a lot of inclusivity that that I think there's still a lot of work to be done in the industry around. Mira, same question for you. And OpenAI has been very open about the fact that there are risks with this technology. We need to be thoughtful about the application of it. Um, what do you see as some of the biggest risks, especially where you think about social platforms and where an increasing percentage of the content is being generated by an AI model? So misinformation has been a uh, central concern for us when um, putting DALI out there, DALI 2. Now, at the same time, I think it's really important to bring this capabilities in the public consciousness in a way that's responsible and bring the public along, but also, you know, get everyone's help to think about the societal impact and how to integrate input, feedback that people have into the AI system and make sure that we can bring in as many voices as we possibly can. And it's a difficult challenge to, it's, it's a difficult balance to do that and do that responsibly. So for DALI to, you know, we have expanded access, but there are certain guardrails that we put in place. First of all, we make the technology accessible through an API. So there are certain guidelines around usage and use cases and such. Um, initially, we were also not generating faces at all. So we had removed uh, faces from the training data because we just didn't feel comfortable with the issues around bias and misinformation that came with that. We didn't feel comfortable around mitigating them. Um, eventually now there is a capability of face generation, but we do not make uh, face generation for, for public personas available because of issues around misinformation um, that come with that. And we just don't have robust mitigations to um, avoid that. But, you know, a lot of these mitigations are technical, technically based and that is something, we have to do something, but I think the very robust long-term mitigations would be a whole system approach and that, that shouldn't be in the hands of technologists alone. And I think that's why it's so important to make these technologies accessible so that other people can start thinking and building uh, on top of them and bringing input into the system. Great. Um, moving on to what the next five and 10 years holds for the future of this technology. And, and I'll start with you, Mira. Um, one provocative question that's coming up right now is to what extent data is the bottleneck for future developments in this field? 
Um, and the question is, once you've already trained a model on all of the internet's information, what exactly is next to train against and what improvements can we expect? Um, to what extent do you see data as a bottleneck for generative AI and how are you overcoming that, that bottleneck? So I think there are um, three pillars that we're seeing as important in terms of uh, building more and more capable AI systems. One is obviously compute, the other one is data and the third is algorithms. And I don't think we have enough uh, evidence right now to say that any particular thing is, is blocking us from making more progress. I think we do have to push on all these three things. There is a lot of data out there and there is a lot of low-hanging fruit. The quality of the data matters. Um, and you know we can also use these models to help us get better data. Uh, and also we can rely on human experts to have better access to, to the data. But I think all three things are going to be important, compute, algorithms, and data to get to models, AI models that are more capable and more powerful. Naveena, a slightly different question for you, which is that thinking about the next five years of any technology, I know one huge barrier often is that you can have amazing new tech that you've developed, but adoption can often be a bottleneck. Um, you know, how humans actually use tech and influence, whether it gets adopted by a broad swath of, of users. Um, I'm curious, you know, what do you think are going to be the bottlenecks to further adoption of generative AI and how it's brought to bear to user interfaces? I thought you were going to start your question with, like, where are we headed in five years? And I was like, gosh, where are we headed next week? Because it's progressing so fast. Like, I feel like every week I'm, like, surprised at all the new things that are coming out. But, you know, I think that... Um, I honestly think that the, you know, I think that the tech sector has gone through a few different like paradigm shifts or waves or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, and I think, you know, there was a wave around like Web3 and crypto being like the disruptive wave. And I think like, you know, I think there's like really interesting stuff with that technology and there's still like a lot of innovation ahead of us. But I think what's so interesting about this space is that it's so broadly applicable that every sort of business, every sort of product, every sort of like kind of workflow um, could benefit from it and not in a forced way. And so like, you know, with with um, kind of like Web3 and that whole conversation, it was almost like, well, how can we rethink about a new internet or how can we rethink about decentralization? But in many ways, like I love the analogy of like, this is kind of just a helper to help expedite kind of your current workflows in a more productive way. And so I think that um, I think with that mindset, like it can really be applied to anything. And I think you're starting to see that. And I think, like I said, like over a week on week basis, I'm like kind of blown away by all the new applications that are kind of popping out, whether it's like, you know, a generative music model, like, you know, uh, things like Copilot, um, things in the image space. Um, there's just so many different applications that are really popping up that you, you name the industry and there's something likely going on in there. I just actually saw last week, I, think, I don't know, remember it was on Hacker News, but there was like a, a chart of like all the generative you know, uh, companies that are popping up right now. And it's a, it's a really interesting time, I think, right now. So I think the next five years will be filled with lots of, um, lots of new deployments in, in, in lots of different areas, essentially. Yeah, it's a it's a chart published, I think, by Sequoia. I think Sonia Huang. Yeah. yeah, a really amazing chart. You can see all the logos of these companies and the work they're doing. Naveen's right that I should be asking about what's going to happen next week rather than what's going to happen next five years. But really, what's what should we expect in store from OpenAI and what's top of mind for you as you think about the new tech that you're enabling? For us, we're really focused in developing and deploying safe artificial general intelligence. And when you think about that, it's very important to get to this 
models that have a lot of general skills that you can, you know, cross from domain to domain and the same model is going to help you across all of them. And so we're really focused on building this merging into one model with many modalities that can help us in different domains and figuring out how to do that in a way that's safe, aligned and robust to a lot of vulnerabilities. And when I think about, you know, what's this going to enable, if you just look at the past six months, the explosion of companies that are building on top of generative AI systems um, or existing companies uh, launching, you know, new products or improving their products. This this has been insane, a, a huge explosion. And so I, I, I think that we'll just continue and we will continue to see a lot more products, new companies being built on these technologies, new product lines. And um, I think we're getting to a point where these models will actually help create real value in the economy and for businesses. Yeah. Is the future just a single multimodal model that solves all these use cases? And I shouldn't be talking about DALI 2 versus GPT-3 or, you know, a tool to play Dota. Instead, I should be thinking about just this one multimodal model. Maybe. And, uh, you know, maybe companies fine-tune on top of that and they, they create something that's more custom for their specific use cases. That's great. Naveen, what's next for Pinterest in terms of how you're thinking about ML and how it's going to transform the, the work that you do? I think we're just really focused on how could we enable more people to be creative and uh, and bring that barrier down. Um, and I think the technology really helps with that, of just being able to generate many, many more iterations and permutations of things, being able to combine things that your imagination would be curious to see uh, what it would create. And so... Um, so that's kind of the future for us, and I think um, I think that uh, I think we'd all benefit from more things that made it make us creative on a daily basis. And I think this is great technology that allows us to do that in a in a much more efficient way. Perfect. That sounds good. I think we have time for questions from the audience. I have a question for Mira. So, with the uh, rise of uh, open source community for AI models, for example, uh, Hugging Face for language model. Uh, stable diffusion from stable AI. Uh, what do you think? Uh, of course, thanks for the thanks to the inspiration and the publication from OpenAI to make that possible at the first place. Uh, what are the impacts on the strategy of OpenAI in terms of benefiting humanity? And also, what do you what do you think of the right way to democratize AI going forward? Thank you. We have seen a lot of open source efforts inspired by, you know, so much interest in using these technologies. From OpenAI's perspective, we decided to productize because we wanted this input from the public into the systems. We wanted to make them more accessible and we wanted to figure out ways to uh, robustly deploy them in ways that's safe and also benefits people. And that has been something that, that we've, we've tried to do very carefully over the past two years. It started with GPT-3 and over the course of six months, we will broaden access to more use cases and as we build more robust mitigations in place, we, we've done that because we thought that is the safest way and to, to bring these technologies to the public. 
And we, we did that with GPT-3. We've done that with, with DALI models. You know, if we got to a point where we felt the most, the safest thing to do and the best thing to do was to make a model uh, easily accessible to everyone through open source, we would absolutely do that um, if there were no other concerns. But that's, that's not where we have been. And uh, there are a lot of concerns around making these technologies accessible to people without any guardrails at all, without any limitations at all, um, because you know people could use them. They're powerful technologies, and they could be used for amazing stuff. But there is also the vulnerability, like the stuff we talked about around bias and um, misinformation and such. Um, so I had a question for Mira. So I'm just curious, like, you know, uh, is OpenAI considering quantum computing, like, and how it will affect the computing? Like, you know, that's one of the limiting resources, uh, like processing power we have and stuff. Uh, so how will, if we make leap in quantum computing, like, how will that affect the uh, artificial general intelligence? Computing is a central aspect of building these models, we, yeah, as we know, and uh, we work closely with Microsoft to develop our supercomputers. They're an important strategic partner for us. Um, I, I'm not an expert in quantum, um, so I, I don't want to speak specifically to the quantum aspects of it, but I do think that, you know, continued advancements in the not just in, in, in GPU design, but also in uh, the engineering aspects of being able to orchestrate, you know, hundreds and thousands of GPUs to run these models. They're very important. And this is sort of a time where engineering is so crucial to actually developing these models because it's not just about the ideas, but it's much more also about the engineering and executing on these ideas and bringing them to life. All right, um, I'll ask a question then. Um, this is for both of you. Uh, you both talked about the delight and surprise of using a tool like Dolly 2, as well as the safety concerns that you have to take into account. As you think about the future use of these tools, how much are you going to weigh the surprise, the delight, the excitement, the unpredictability of these tools compared to your business cases, your safety concerns, your third-party partners who are relying on your information to sell ads, for example? Yeah, maybe I could start. I mean, I, I really respect like the approach that uh, OpenAI has taken, and uh, I think you're I think you're seeing that actually from a lot of the larger consumer tech companies. Like, I would I would be surprised if anyone at those larger companies, like I think there are teams of people that are working on this area. And I think the reason you probably haven't seen as much like product launches or big, big reveals yet is because I think everyone is trying to, trying to introduce it in a way uh, with the least amount of risk as possible to get the best experience. And I think that takes a lot of thoughtful thinking. I'm actually appreciate that everyone's kind of collectively doing that. Um, and I think there's ways in which like OpenAI, for example, released, you know, the model without doing, you know, face, you know, face rendering. And I, I think there's like, a, that's a very smart decision um, to mitigate like a lot of risk on the opposite side. And so I think you'll continue to see that. And for Pinterest, for example, you know, some of the early versions that we've been playing with have been, you know, even like to the point of um, having a predetermined dictionary of things that people could actually search with so that um, it allows for safety from default. And so that's a very like restrictive means, but I think it, it points to like 
just I think how powerful the technology is and just how with that comes a lot of responsibility. So, so I think a lot of people are kind of taking that approach right now. I hope to see that sort of as well, because I, I think the worst case is, is that, um, you know, it starts to get out there and, and it only accentuates kind of some of the discourse that we have in society today. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And from a technology perspective, we're focused on the generality of it. And I think with the creativity, we expect that a lot of other capabilities will come as well. Um, like, for example, we're already starting to see people use it for interior design or architecture or um, product development, especially on the prototyping um, aspects of it, or filmmakers are also using DALI as a tool, but it does require this middle level of product builders adapting the technology towards these specific use cases. Hi, uh, thank you for a great talk, inspiring. Um, what do you think, how far are we from AI solving some mathematical uh, tasks or like proving stuff like ma mathematically or even some like uh, AI finding some new scientific achievements, some new thing like in physics or somewhere, medicine? So we've already seen signs of AI doing mathematical proofs and doing some reasonable reasonably impressive mathematical stuff, although like it can get tripped up in, you know, basic arithmetics like we've seen with GPT-3. Um, but I will, uh, I think on, on, on the question of scientific discovery, I find that difficult to speculate on timelines. The thing that I would say is that progress over the past two years has been really just insane. And I, I think this amount of progress will continue, it's bound to continue. Um, and we should see AI systems do more and more of the things that we can do. The direction has been a bit surprising in the sense that everyone was uh, talking about, you know, how AI is going to automate everything. And in the past six months, the conversation has been more about AI making us more creative and do this, you know, really beautiful and amazing things rather than um, automate a lot of manual labor. Okay. Well, I agree with the gentleman over there. It's been very inspiring. I hope we go forth and innovate. Um, thanks again, BJ, Mira, and Naveen. Thank you. Thank you all. Don't miss out on ELC Annual, our community's flagship conference happening in San Francisco on August 30th through 31st. You'll leave ELC Annual equipped with practical, proven strategies that will transform you into a more effective leader. Visit sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023 to secure your tickets now. Join us at ELC Annual and be a part of the future of engineering leadership. We'll see you there.